We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, well, it's interesting because we're recording on a Monday, which we don't usually do. Usually we record Tuesday morning. And because of my work schedule, Monday is now just the F off universe day where I just I stay <laughs> in and just do terrible things and just eat whatever is around, which is usually nothing good. So it's it's I'm in my pure vegetative state. So we'll see how that affects podcasting today. Yeah, let us know. Report in. Let, let us know uh, if, if we like this, Simon, if we should do more Monday recording. <laughs> we heard from a bunch of you guys this week. Lots of TV to talk about. We went mega long last week. That shouldn't happen this week. But uh, I haven't heard any complaints yet. So I'm not. I guess I'm not going to worry about it. Later in the show, we will be joined by Josh Long for more than one lesson to talk a little Get Smart. But uh, that was a lot of fun, and that'll be at the end of the show. A little bit of a... It's got to be one of the few older series we've done. We've, we've mostly been like 90s and forward. We we did the Twilight Zone. We did the Outer Limits. We added the that's right. We did the Outer Limits. Um, the original Outer Limits. I'm sure there's something else we've done, but yeah, that it's true. We've mostly done newer series. It would be great to do some more older shows because they're so fun to talk about, especially in terms of you know rippling influence and things like that that yeah. we can get all hoity toity about. <laughs> hoity toity. Hoity toity. I, I I was watching Malcolm Tucker clips earlier, and. Uh, I can't blame you. That's of course. Why wouldn't you? This is Monday. It is Monday. It's it's that, <laughs> kind, of, it's that kind of day. Awesome. Well, we had a lot of fun talking with you guys on Twitter and email and Facebook and all of that this week. We heard from Mario, who is feeling more optimistic about Top Chef Masters. He likes Jennifer and has big hopes for Restaurant Wars. Why are they doing Restaurant Wars on Top Chef Masters? They've all opened restaurants. They all know what goes in. I'm puzzled by this. It, it does seem to defeat the purpose. But, you know, people like Restaurant Wars, so whatever. They're sticking to what they know. It turns everybody into dicks, so that should make for good television? I, I don't know. Anyways, Mario also said that he liked this version of Kiss of the Spider Woman. He thought it was awesome. Simon, I use that. Uh... I d it's not about the version. It's that the song is dumb. <laughs> But he doesn't watch So You Think You Can Dance, and I think that's just silly. And he also thinks that the ricin is for Walt. There will be a theme to these comments, which is Breaking Bad, and it's been awesome. Carl also thinks that the bridge killer sounds like Ted Levine, like that it's maybe a red herring that they're doing. So I'm glad I'm not alone on that. Beth used to play a violin, like, all through school. Uh, I, knew she, I knew that she was cool. Um, so she was sympathizing with me about the painted violin. <laughs> and, uh, the, you know, the phenomenon of not being able to remember what the piece is, but y your fingers just kind of go through 
the progressions and everything. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, let's see. We discussed recaps versus reviews with Josh and Ken. Um, Broadchurch with Nick, who thinks it's doing a good job of doling out clues and mystery and the, the pacing and everything he's, he's enjoying. We'll talk about Broadchurch a little later in the show. Amanda wants to know if she should continue with Broadchurch. Shall we spoil our thoughts there? What do you think? She stopped watching after the first episode. Should she jump back in? Uh, well, you can answer this question better than I can because you watched the whole sucker, and I'm still only on episode two. Well, but what? But having seen only episode two, ah, uh, I think I mean the first episode should tell you. I mean, it's okay. it seems to me like it's going to be pretty consistent. Uh, I mean, there were a couple elements this week that I wasn't crazy about. We'll get but there. it it doesn't seem like it's going to take any like massive leaps in quality one way or another. So I feel like if you like the first episode, probably it's going to be a safe. I mean, it's six freaking episodes eight right eight oh, okay. all of still. eight still yes okay fair, yeah, enough, fair so. enough um we also talked torchwood uh, with amanda Corey, justin and zach which was entertaining oh miracle day uh ken is enjoying broad church and he likes that the local cop is standing up to the outsider and he enjoys elementary and thinks that robert downey jr uh, bennett cumberbatch and johnny the miller each have a fun different take on holmes that he's liking each of them i did put up an article about elementary and summer viewing versus fall viewing and what expectations and baggage we tend to bring to those different time time periods with our viewing and that's up at sound on site so you can read my thoughts about that there uh talked with tickle talk about the white queen um and i thank you for the correction i got the author wrong it's philippa gregory i think it's a philippa boyles who is one of the screenwriters for the hobbit and lord of the rings and i i i tell her regrets the air i can't believe that i did that <laughs> Tells you how much of a Lord of the Rings nerd I am. I've clearly fallen off due to my lack of appreciation for the Hobbit movie. I would never have made that mistake a couple a uh, couple years ago. Anyways, um, and we talked a little about the difficulty of portraying, you know, the historical accuracy in that time period with relationships with uh with women and and gender roles and all that stuff. How do you portray that to be truthful to the time period, but you know, work for a modern audience? So little discussion there. As far as Breaking Bad predictions go, uh, there was the thing that I most enjoyed is that nobody has predicted the same thing for the final shot, and oh no, for, like everybody has a different idea of how it's going to end, and I love that. So keep the thoughts coming. It's too late to join in on the quarter bets, but I still look forward to hearing from everybody as you know as we get further into the this final run of episodes. Um, Steph is hoping that Jesse has a happy ending. Josh. Uh, his prediction is I haven't spent any time thinking about it. Zach says, no, I am not doing that. Uh, <laughs> Randy predicts Skylar doesn't move the damn air fresheners around. Uh, Carl says that the last shot will be the pink teddy bear standing over Walt's body, defiantly putting his eye back in. And I, <laughs> I did get death pool picks from Mario, Ken, Matt, Ricky, uh, Swedgeland, Carl, Kyle, and Bob. Apparently, no other ladies will be joining the death pool, but uh, I, I do look forward to checking in back back in with that uh, at the end of the season. And we do have to keep track of. We're going to have to discuss this week whether there there was a montage because I think there was. But it was there a, was a montage. Yes, this is subtler than we're normally used to. So. We'll discuss that at the end of the show. Uh, we did also get, we have an iTunes rating, which Woo! actually was from the beginning of the month, but I missed it because it was in the Canadian iTunes. 
And I don't, you know, hop over to the various countries very often. So thank you very much. This Jason DeGroot um, gave us five stars and says, if you really like TV, that you should like this podcast. And uh, he likes our, our individual Walking Dead Game of Thrones episodes. So so I would imagine, Jason, if you're listening and you like Breaking Bad, we're kind of building one of those into each week for the next, you know, couple of months talking about Breaking Bad. But uh, hopefully he'll enjoy that, too. So thank you very much, Jason. Be like Jason, gentle listeners, and leave us a review and or rating in iTunes. Yes, please, please, please do that. It helps a lot. Yes. At Sound on Sight, I already mentioned in my article, but we will be doing a monthly theme of the best series finales of television um, for September. And we're already starting to put that together. So if you have any shows that you think we should check out the finale for, and this is not final moments, this is not... Oh my God, it's a snow globe. This is final episodes. <laughs> so if you have any things yeah. that, you know, that you think we should check out, let us know, and we'll, we'll consider including them for that in September. Have our writers started to call those yet? Because re- if that hasn't happened yet, I need to call The Shield. Yeah, you should do that, because I've already called Angel and Friday Night Lights. Okay, so yes. I would suggest doing that. Yeah, And it might spur you on to finally finish The Freaking Shield. Yeah, I should do that. I know, that that's like a big glaring shameful admission you know you've watched what the first three seasons yeah something like that and i really liked it it i just i had to return the dvds to the library and i haven't gotten them back out but i did watch all of elementary in like two days so clearly my priority so to be clear you're caught up on elementary but not the shield yes i hope you feel that shame i'm sorry tv gods i know i'm wrong Also, if you are interested in being one of our contributors at Sound on Sight TV, please write in theteleverse at gmail.com. We are are always on the lookout for talented writers who want to review shows for us week to week or contribute to monthly themes. So please write me and uh, as the TV editor, I will be the contact point and send me a sample of your writing and we'll see if if that's a good fit. But we are always, you know, we have many very talented, uh, very intelligent listeners and so if you are interested in writing about TV for us, drop us a line. But let's get into our week in TV, yes? Yes. Stop playing mind games with me. What if I started messing with your head? <laughs> oh, my. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. That is the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you are adorable. I'm the master of mind games. That's what I do. No one mind rapes people like I do. Least of all... Shit, there's someone at the front door. Coming. Hang on, I'm just gonna try and get a grip on the doorknob here. Where'd you go? Okay, that is the weirdest thing ever. There's no one there, but clearly there was a knock on the front door. There's someone at the door again. Hang on. This week in comedy, it's it's a light one. We have Wilfred Distance. Children's Hospital, Country Weekend, and NTSFS DSUV Burn After Killing. Which uh, which would you like to start with here? Oh, well, let's start with Wilfred, which I think it, it's pretty clear is having, can we call it a minor season? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, which is it's just a weird thing to say because Wilfred is kind of like an inherently minor show that's kind of like a goofy lark. But this feels like, even for Wilfred, it's like a goofy lark season for like a goofy lark show more so than usual. And I think that this, this episode, I think might've been the single emblematic episode of what they've been doing this whole time. 
Uh, I was very happy to see Dwight Yoakam again because I think he's a blast on this, and I I just want to see him in more stuff because weirdly he's always good, even when he's playing like creepy villains, which he's kind of doing here, but in a totally different way. Uh, I like I like the idea of these sort of bizarre character country stars showing up on my TV, like Lyle Lovett on uh, <laughs> over on the bridge. I don't know what it is with FX and these guys, uh, but it was nice to see him again. Uh, the the mind game aspect was fun, not terribly memorable, but I had a good time with it. I will say I I laughed one of the hardest I have all season at the Ryan knocking on the the dresser to get Wilfred to, to go down to the door. I've taken yes. to doing that. Uh, if if I'm trying to capture my sister's dog, I just I just go outside and ring the doorbell and come back in, and he runs immediately down. That was just a, a lifted moment from my life, so I particularly enjoyed that. But yeah, I, I agree. This does feel like most of the episodes this season, I should say, have felt like the in-between episodes of last season, where you'd have a great episode and you just have a solid, entertaining, good episode, but not maybe as, as interesting or as meaningful at least for me, as the ones that, you know, that book ended. And it's sort of been a whole season of that, which is odd. Yeah. Well, it also feels a bit more schematic. Like, you have Goofy episode that ends with a tiny clue about what next week is going to be about and mm -hmm. so forth, which is a little disappointing because I think one of the joys of season two was that it was just so wild in terms of structuring and and the, you know, the de like, it got really crazy near the end. I, like, I don't know how much of that you remember, but it got, like, balls to the wall insane and there hasn't been any of that either so that's been a bit disappointing but i'm still glad to have wilford around even mm -hmm. though, just because there is nothing else on tv even remotely like it i don't think that's very true uh, I, I just have to ask though does anybody really care about this mystery stuff because they keep adding complexities and coming back to oh Kristen really drew the the drawing oh and but really he drew this one thing and there's a swirly thing and don't care. I don't ever need them to answer who Wilfred is. Well, I mean, I like the mystery as a delivery device for surreal gags and for things like basically whenever Ryan has something near a psychotic break and just goes <laughs> up, off the deep end and then craziness ensues. Like, that's why I like the mystery stuff, because it allows for material like that. This season, it seems like they're doing it for its own sake and trying to build it up as a thing we really care about, which but also all, always acknowledging that it's never going to happen. So yeah. they're playing, they're striking an interesting balance that I'm not sure totally works. But again, I'm I'm into it in a strange way. Speaking of into it in a strange way, maybe it's not strange. Maybe uh, there are more of us out there who enjoy the notion of a country weekend in Japan uh, uh, <laughs> killing people at a wedding. I, I had a lot of fun with Children's Hospital this week, country weekend, and I particularly enjoyed their guest cast that they brought in. It was a lot of fun. I mean, Richard Kind? <laughs> Yeah. That was awesome. For like two lines when he's not speaking yep. into a phone. <laughs> yeah, that was inspired. And Judah Friedlander as Weird Al Yankovic and Weird Al Yankovic as young Justin Kirk. Yeah, Children's was fun. I, I laughed a lot. The, the guest cast was ridiculous, but I think I slightly preferred NTSF this week, which other people have pointed out was on a bit of a Skyfall kick, which I haven't even seen Skyfall, so it didn't even register for me. Hmm. Uh, and I still thought it was hilarious. So that tells you something. Yeah, NTSF is on a is on a tear, and I do wonder how many people are watching because obviously we talk about this every week, and we look forward to these, and we enjoy the crap out of Children's Hospital and NTSF SDSUV. But I remember at Comic Con, I was talking to people who like Children's Hospital but don't watch NTSF, which I don't get. Um, and I also think a lot of people haven't even 
you know, we're kind of in somewhat of a TV bubble. Well, I think a lot of even TV fans have never seen or maybe don't even have an interest in checking out these shows. And I think it's really unfortunate because after Venture Brothers, I would say NTSF has been the most consistent comedy so far this year, even more than Bob's Burgers. Ooh, I don't know about that, but uh, it's... Well, I... they've only had three, so it's not hard to be three for three. Yeah, that's true. But but I mean, I, I guess NTSF might be more consistent as just a delivery device for laughs. I don't. I mean, it, it doesn't have, you know, character depth or anything like that or any sort of, you know, those considerations that you get on Boss Burgers to some degree. But yeah, just as a funny show, I think it's certainly up there. I mean, I, I love the stuff with uh, with Daisy this week and her attempting to brand herself in the office. <laughs> gotcha, girl. Apparently, this was the first episode in the production order, which makes sense because she is talking about how she needs to get in there mm -hmm. and make herself known and really leave an impression, which I think would have <laughs> actually made more sense to have at the beginning, but whatever. Uh, I understand Comic-Con. Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I still continue. I, it's funny because I've been reading online that a lot of people don't dig Daisy who watch the show, which I'm like, what? What? I know. Daisy is awesome. I that know. I don't even, get it. Does not compute. That's, so not that's only, very strange. Not only are not enough people watching NTSF, but the ones that are fools. Huh. I, I wonder if that's the Doctor Who connection. They feel like this person just got cast because she was on this other geek show and doesn't have the comedy cred to be there with the other people i don't know that's interesting i don't have that problem she's just hilarious on the show and so i an interest a comedy is a very personal thing but okay well sorry i'm getting distracted here and starting to think of article ideas uh what wins <laughs> the week in comedy for you i'm gonna give it to ntsf i liked all all of them this week but um i'm kind of ambivalent about whether or not wilford gets renewed to be honest which i know that hasn't been announced yet i know the ratings are down a bit it looks like it costs about $5 to produce, except for maybe paying Gann and Wood. So mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I want to root for it, but lately it's just, it's, I'm, I keep wanting it to kick it up as well. Yeah, I've, I'm tempted to just tie that to the new showrunner. And just maybe I have a comic sensibility more in line with the showrunner from season one and two. But I, you never know. It's such a collaborative medium. Yeah. But I, I'm kind of in the same place. I wouldn't, I, I watch it every week, but if it wasn't set on season pass on my DVR, I might forget to watch. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I'll give it to Children's Hospital. I'm going to remember that episode for quite a long time. It just is so ridiculous. And I, I love how they, this season, they've really been continually bringing back the, in Japan, where we are. <laughs> <laughs> kind of jokes like they every now and again they didn't really do that too much with where were they belize uh, they were in brazil brazil that's what yeah. it was yeah uh, so I'm, I'm liking the little bit you know a couple extra mentions of that this week and uh, nice to see malin ackerman back and some of the other cast that haven't been in this season so far so uh, i'll give it to children's hospital let's take a break and come back and talk reality
this week in reality, I'm going to preview All-Star Orchestra, which is an upcoming program on PBS. We have Make Kate Watch the Face Off premiere, So You Think You Can Dance the Top 10, as well as The Writer's Room. There's plenty of other reality this week, but these are the ones we're going to focus in on. First, I'm going to mention the All-Star Orchestra, which is a series of, I want to say, six hour-long specials that will be airing on various PBS stations around the country. So far, it doesn't sound like it's airing in Chicago. I hope that will change, but I know it's already, the first episode already aired in Seattle, but in New York, I think Philadelphia and many other large cities, um, Boston, it, this is a series that's going to start up in September. So I, I got a chance to watch the first episode. And so I figured I would mention it here. What this is, is, uh, themed hours of of classical music with uh, some of the great standards of of the repertoire as well as each of the i think all but one of the episodes has a modern piece as well and so it's an orchestra comprised of members of prominent orchestras throughout the country conducted by the former conductor of the Seattle uh, Symphony who he was there for about 20 years and just retired so this is what he decided to do with his downtime this episode that I saw featured the Firebird and uh, Daphnis and Chloe as well as Bright Chang's uh, piece that he based on on Brahms and I this I think this is just wonderful to have you know quality classical music on on TV I feel like that's part of what PBS should do and they don't really and it's unfortunate I think I mean don't get me wrong I know everybody's very excited about Downton Abbey and I know PBS needs the viewers that shows like that bring in but it kind of would be nice if you could see quality classical music or or dance or opera or these other art forms that don't have an outlet really anywhere else on television if you could actually see them on a regular basis or at least semi-regular basis on on public television so check it out the performances because i'm me and i'm nitpicky they they recorded all of i believe it was like 20 pieces over the course of a week which is insane because this group has never really played together before and if you have a particularly discerning eye, certain moments you can tell that they're not as um, they don't sound as as good in some places as a group that's been playing together would. So it doesn't matter that they're all badasses individually; they don't necessarily have the cohesion that one might hope for uh, from an orchestra. However, often you know, like they they do hit more than they miss and and I'm uber nitpicky and I've played most of these pieces. So I know what to listen for. I imagine if you are just a regular classical music fan, or even just a fan of enrichment and broadening your horizons, you should enjoy uh, a lot of what the all-star orchestra has to offer. And they're doing a lot of really fantastic, fantastic repertoire. So if you get PBS, if that sounds interesting, you know, take a look and see when it's going to be premiering for you. If you Google also Orchestra, they have a website that has a listing of when things are airing in various various cities around around uh, the U.S. So check it out. Next up is Make Hit Watch the Face Off premiere. Simon, have you ever seen Face Off? No, I've heard of it. I see ads for it everywhere, but I have never watched it. Yeah, I hadn't either. And it uh, it has. And I've seen like ads, and they always seem really cool. The makeup that the, that these people do. Uh, but I, I hadn't seen it. I was kind of expecting or hoping that maybe Borgen would win the Make Kate Watch Jeff poll because I, I know Todd Vanderwerf over the AV Club keeps raving about it, and I still haven't made myself watch it. Um, but it got, yeah, it got trounced by Face Off this week. So I, I checked it out, and 
as predicted, the the prosthetics and makeups, um, I, they just call them makeups. It's really good makeup, which I guess that is, if you look at verb and noun, like that makes sense. They were all, you know, fantastic and really interesting. And I learned a lot more about the process than I would have known before watching. I don't know that the format or the personality of the hosting and the judges are such that I care about diving into this new season, but I certainly was very uh, entertained by this hour. Uh, I'm thinking I may check out, or at least I'll put it on the poll for next week, Heroes of Cosplay, which is paired with it on this show on the sci-fi channels. So it's face off and then Heroes of Cosplay immediately after. So makeup and then costuming. And I think that's a really smart one-two punch for them. And uh, I look forward to maybe dipping in here and there. The But yes, it is, as ever, I always appreciate reality shows that allow very talented people, especially in professions that I know nothing about, to to show their skills and to you know maybe have a little bit of an educational element in there as well so thank you guys for not burdening me this week with the make kate watch stuff poll very much appreciated the last thing before we get to say thank you can dance is the writer's room i just wanted to mention because i checked out dexter last week and new girl this week and the new girl they didn't seem like they had that much to say again it, what we talked about before where because we already know most of the stuff they're saying it's not you know as in-depth as we would like being tv uh fans but uh, but dexter i know very little about that so that was actually really interesting so maybe that's the secret i should just tune in for the writer writer's room episodes about shows that I am completely maybe either disinterested or completely unknowledgeable of. So that means I'm looking forward to the American Horror Story one that's coming up in a couple weeks. So that should probably be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, that was, that, was, that was actually, I was glad I tuned in. So I figured I'd mention that. Let's talk so you think you can dance. Sure. Before we get to the actual dances, I wanted to posit a theory that I'm sure you're going to have thoughts on and that we've discussed a little bit elsewhere. What effect do you think song choices have on voting? Well, I've seen the effect they can have, which is when we watched last season and they said a samba, I think it was, or cha-cha to call me maybe. And it was just like the stupidest decision I've ever seen on that show. I like that Carly Rae Jepsen just poisons so you think you can dance whenever she turns up. No, that's the choreographer's fault. It was a it was a tape. It's not like she was there to perform it yeah. live or anything. It was just, you know, I'm going to do a cha-cha or I'm going to do Latin ballroom. You know what I think of with that? I think bubblegum pop. Uh, so it can destroy a choice. Now, because I know you were thinking about this with Jasmine's routine, that maybe she got an extra bump because the song is so popular. And I, that might be, that may be the case. Maybe just the f people being familiar with it, they know what to expect from the music so they can connect with the motion more. Well, not just that. I mean, first of all, the style of dance kind of connects to the video, which don't watch the video case. You're not going to like it. Um, but uh, especially anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, but so the, there was kind of a, a strange association there. And also, I think that the memorability of that song in comparison to, you know, stuff that people will be less familiar with, at least pe the people of, I assume, voting age, uh, I feel like it's going to help it stick out in people's memory. Okay. Uh, which I realize they've only got a two-hour window to vote, but still. It's hard to know also because Jasmine is so obviously, if not the best dancer, at like one of the two or three best dancers. And I don't think she's ever been in the bottom. At least mm -hmm. I can't think of her once. ever being in the bottom. Once. Once she was. Uh, so it would be more interesting if if someone had used Blurred Lines who wasn't as good and then seeing if 
you know, they would, I, I'm just saying, if, if Jasmine's on the bottom next week, I'll eat my words, but it's not going to happen. Well, it's not going to happen because that routine was awesome and she nailed it. She was fantastic. She was great. She was great. I don't want to, I'm, I'm just saying people have been great and been on the bottom. So yeah, that's true. That's a good point. But, uh, yeah, I would be, I'd be very surprised. Uh, whereas we also had that Whitney Houston remix. Oh disco. God, that like dance mix 97. Oh, gross. That was bad. And I was glad and someone called Ella. on it. You don't, I've, I have strong feelings <laughs> about remixing Ella Fitzgerald. They are not positive ones. And I'm going to try to not have to edit out a bunch of swearing. Uh, so I'm going to restrain myself here. But you don't remix Ella. You don't do it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I didn't find a whole lot. Like, I'm thinking back to the show, and I try to watch So You Think You Can Dance closer to recording so that I can have it fresher in my mind because it's two hours long mm -hmm. and it you know it's a lot of stuff uh but in my memory only a few numbers stick out i'll say jasmine's was great tucker's was good aaron's was good uh but i mean aaron's was very again, good you liked the wrong ones this week sir because i remember we were talking I about this afterwards because i really liked the aaron when you're like eh. and then you really liked the one immediately after that I didn't fiction. You really liked fiction. Oh uh, yeah, I, I like the fic. I, I like the fiction one. Um, I don't know. The, the high concept routines generally kind of work for me. Although I find it weird when they open with a group number this week that clearly had some kind of very specific inspiration, <laughs> and we never got to hear what it was because that's not how the show is structured. So that yeah, was, that was an odd choice. I was watching it going. There's something I'm not get. Like, why are there four guys carrying? jenna across the stage and then all the other women are just kind of filling time by like there was something there that i was not getting yeah and the dance was not communicating the story specifically enough yeah yeah no i thought it was interesting when we were talking because for me i thought aaron was fantastic in his dance with Catherine, but you felt like she outshone him and i felt the exact same way with fiction where i was like yeah fiction good job melanie yowza right yeah the thing with aaron's it, it's coming back to me now Aaron was mostly there to lift a lot and just be solid. You called him a rock, which is correct. Uh, and, you know, technically it was very impressive, but I don't think it gave him a lot interesting to do in terms of actual movement. That's true. So who are you going to predict on the bottom this week? Because we have Tucker who can't, they're not, people are going to vote for Tucker after that. And then Fiction and then Paul, who the fangirls love and they can't vote for Nico anymore. And Aaron, so who do you think is going to be on the bottom? Well, if Jenna was on the bottom this week, I assume she'll be back next week. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I mean, it's such a crapshoot. I yeah. don't know how people vote. I just know Jasmine's not going to be in there. <laughs> yeah, that's the only one that I watched twice. I was like, stop, rewind, yeah. watch It was again. super fun, and I'm telling you, she's getting the Robin Thick bump. It's happening. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so for you, So You Think You Can Dance wins. For me, So You Think You Can Dance wins. No no reality is, is going to be bumping out So You Think You Can Dance from winning our week in reality for me uh, until so, until the show winds up its run. At least I would be very surprised. But uh, let's take a break and come back with drama.
This week in drama, we had Nine for Nine Runner, Strike Back. It's either, it's like Shadow Warfare Episode 2 or Chapter 2 or something like that. The True Blood Finale, Radioactive, The Bridge, ID, Broadchurch, Episode 1.2, The Newsroom, One Step Too Many, and Breaking Bad, Buried. Breaking Bad, not in the spotlight this week. No, but not to say it wasn't good. We'll get there. And not to say we won't talk about it as if it were. Yes, it's it's going to be a trend this season. But <laughs> yeah, I was asked to make the call, and I decided that Breaking Bad should be in the spotlight only when it absolutely blows us away, knocks our socks off in the tradition of its best episodes, which I think it did last week, and we'll talk about whether or not it did this week. I'll kick things off with 9 for 9. This was another interesting documentary. The The subject was one I was completely unfamiliar with. It was a American distance runner at the Olympics who actually holds several world records that have not been touched since like the 80s, 70s or 80s, but never won any Olympic anything. And so it was actually kind of interesting. Then we had, uh, so so I would put it in the higher end of the of the 9 for 9 series, but I have been somewhat disappointed by the overall quality for 9 for 9. There's still a couple left. Hopefully they knock it out of the park to end a little strong, but uh, it's been a little uneven. Strike Back, I wanted to mention episode 2 because they got me this week. Uh, you, you have not seen it yet. You're okay with spoilers? Yeah, I'm okay with spoilers. Okay, this is your spoiler alert, listeners. Skip forward like 30 seconds. They killed Rebecca, and they killed her in like a painfully effective way. I was like, I, I haven't seen any of the show before this year. So I've just seen the the first episode of the season and this one. And she's in like 10 minutes maybe of last week's episode. And she's in about half an hour, 40 minutes of this week's episode. But when she goes to wash her hands, oh man, she asks for water. And you think it's because she's just been shot in the, in the head. But no, it's so she can perform last rites on herself. It's, whew. yeah, I, it was getting dusty. So... And it was, uh, yeah, it was very effective. And of course, they also had a fun bank robbery until it wasn't fun. Uh, and uh, they, they, it was all played very well. It was handled very nicely. There was a nice fake out with um, whether someone was a terrorist or a undercover, deep cover CIA operative. So it, it's progressing very nicely. I'm enjoying it. Uh, but I did not expect to get punched in the gut by that the way that I did. So well done, Strike Back team. Uh, let's move on to the True Blood finale, Radioactive. It's funny. I was reading some bitching about the the whole six months later thing that happened in this episode, which, like, I'll be honest, I'm not sure if I could have come up with a better solution because <laughs> I've been saying for weeks they need to hit, they need to drop a nuke on this show and just have a total reset, which is basically what they did. So, like, it was clumsy and awkward and arbitrary, but... What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, if you're gonna, if the show's going to keep getting renewed, you're going to have to, and it's going to keep being this much of a mess. Why not? Yeah, I was going to say, just don't put yourself in a position to have this big a shit show that you need to deal with. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's so let's talk about this in two chunks. The pre pre time gap chunk was stupid. Mm -hmm. um, just the whole Warlow thing was just idiotic. Well, Everything about that character was. Yes. Ugh. But rather that Warlow than randomly puppy dog Warlow, which they introduced for no reason and with no justification. And then they got rid of it uh, with very little justification. And, <laughs> and then and then 
Rutger Howard showed up again with no justification. And yay, I was hoping to see him in the flash forward, but... Uh... Yeah, I know. He shows up, he's their fairy godfather or whatever, and it was nice to see him again, even though it was total, uh, you know, Howard X Machina. <laughs> fairy but, X Machina. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and then he's, he's just gone after that. Like, really, he's not going to stick around to keep... Okay. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, it was all very silly, but I guess par for the course for the season. And then after the flash forward, which uh, I did not see coming, I'll be honest, the I, I actually did like the stuff with uh, Bill on his book tour. Oh, my was, God. No, no. Was... I thought that was I thought that was kind of enjoyably odd. I, I was a god. <laughs> I did rip everyone's head off. So, but who would convict me? I've just confessed to br- brutally murdering many, many people. But you couldn't possibly convict me. I mean, this fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing blood, ever, man. Oh my god! But it's like it means they're not even trying at that point. Not really. Um, how did you feel about the? Uh... Uh, about the whole gambit with pairing up humans and vamps thing. Um, I don't, we don't know enough to justify it. So we don't know their situation other than apparently the hepatitis V infected vampires, instead of dying in a very short period of time, like they did, you know, an episode ago. Now it turns them into zombies, basically, right? Packs of roaming packs of mindless... Yeah, like apparently, and you could justify that by saying that they they apparently get infected through tainted blood rather than true blood, so maybe the effects are different, which, whatever. Uh, it's stupid. But, yeah, kind of stupid. Uh, the whole thing with Tara and her mother was totally out of left field. Yeah, I mean, they were trying, and I give as total credit to the actors, they were doing their best with that. But it really didn't work for me, especially with all the overtones they have done with with uh, biting and sexuality, which they continued throughout the entire episode. Uh, and, and yet they didn't like have Tara do a more chaste bite on the arm or something for her mom. So it was just but it also didn't feel like they were reveling in the squickiness. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, can you explain to me? <laughs> Can you explain to me what Jason Stackhouse's arc was this season? Oh, my God. Well, like three episodes ago, he was a traumatized quasi-rape victim uh, to this person. And now he uh, is, is thinks he's in love with her the way that Sookie was with Bill in season one. Um, so, oh, God. They, they obviously needed to, to reset the button. But the problem, and it's happened several times with True Blood, where they get themselves into a situation, back themselves into a corner, and maybe they come up with a, a really powerful way to end it, the season-long arc. Maybe they don't. But they feel the need every year, at least almost every year, to flash forward to what the next season is going to be, to tease the next season, and it almost invariably sucks. And then they spend the first three episodes of the next season undoing at least one section of the decisions they made at the you know the beginning of their hiatus before they had time to think about and really plan what their next season is going to be and this is how we had jason being uh held up and consistently raped by were panthers for half of a season yeah yeah hillbilly yokel were panthers consistently like continually raping jason stackhouse uh because they were trying to get his special Jason seed to impregnate all their women. Yeah. And that happened because, you know, 
they they made a stupid decision at the end of the season, and then how are they going to get out of it? Uh, so so they did that again here, and it's just so frustrating. Why don't you just do the six months later and one scene, one scene? I like that they didn't cut to Eric, for example, because that gives the, that lets us figure out that gives them all summer to figure out the coolest possible way for Eric to not actually be dead because there's no way Eric is dead. Right? Can I t- can I just mention like I actually really liked this, the scene of Eric just naked in the mountains reading something. I thought that was a cool visual. Yeah, but like in in the circumstance, there's no good way to explain him not being dead. Like, no, he's totally out in the open. Yeah, burning in the sun. Yeah, incapable to move. We like, saw him burn up. We we backed out. We we like pulled out. So obviously Pam wasn't flying in to save him. So yeah, there's no. There's, he was <laughs> he's not dead, but there's no way there's he's not. No dead. way he's not dead. Yes. So, so that's yeah. that's the trouble that I have with this. Um, as for other elements of it, if they're gonna do this and back themselves into a corner, I like Arlene being in charge of Merlots. I don't like Merlots being Belfours. I don't know why that's a sticking point for me, but apparently it is. Um, and. Uh, but but I like, you know, her new position in the town. and that, that makes sense. And it's a good way to keep her involved. Sam, the mayor, really, who would vote for that guy? <laughs> I totally agree. But whatever. Uh, Elsie has a haircut. It's about damn time. And uh, can I just I before before the people in the scene brushed yeah. off this idea, the second Bill showed up. With Alcide standing there, was like, "You need protection." I was like, "Are you fucking serious? <laughs> Have you seen Alcide?" <laughs> yeah. Look at that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, really? They're not gonna let Joe Manganiello go, uh, which is kind of too bad because that he he would be a huge movie star right now if he could get out of his True Blood contract. But uh, if they're not gonna use him, if they're not gonna let him go, I hope they at least use him and. This, you know, this consistent run of men that they keep putting Sookie with, most of whom have followed her around like puppy dogs, and she is treated like crap consistently until she's uh, feeling, you, you know, like she needs somebody to help her. And then she goes and bats her eyelashes at Sam or Elseed or any of these, you know, she's kind she's, she, I want to like that character, but the way she and her relationships with men are always terrible. Um, so if they can fix that next season... I will be very happy. Um, at least they finally are doing, you know, that relationship. So maybe we can move on from it. But I'm glad we don't see any uh, werewolves. I'm glad we don't have Shifter BS. I like the scene with Jessica. That was very nice. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not excited about zombies next year. Or sorry, sorry. Fake zombies. Vamp zombies. Or whatever. Yeah, just I want a writer's room episode for True Blood to find out how their oh, process works. Seriously, it's like I want to see the dartboard that goes up there that they, you know, choose their ideas from. But, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you, I mean, obviously, it's a huge hit for HBO. People like it. People they keep tuning in. We kept tuning in. We're part of the for some problem. Reason, we are. Uh, well, and I, I point credits where credits where credits do. Uh, I will give points for the brazen cunnilingus scene. <laughs> that was pretty wild. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was ridiculous. And again, I and I, th- I thank you for this because because we really brought this up this season, and it was mostly you. Ryan Quanton has been absolutely delightful all season with what he's been given to do. He's really you know 
done his best to keep it as truthful to Jason as he can. He's and... dived in head first, so to speak. <laughs> Classy. Let's move on to the bridge ID. Uh, this was uh, more of a... We're, we're kind of back to our usual split of the episode after last week, which didn't feature all of our characters. What did you think? Uh, I think it was pretty good. I didn't think it was quite as good as last week, but there was a lot to like. Lyle Lovett's back, which is great. Uh, I'm surprised at how much they're giving Bobby Cobb to do. I'm just going to keep calling him that. Um, <laughs> I don't care that his name is Ray. He's Bobby Cobb. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I'm surprised at how sort of integral he's becoming to all this, which mm-hmm. is an interesting move. I think he's good in the role. Um, I think it's a good fit. I, he really, really makes me think of like a justified season one or two guest villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a bad thing because those characters tend to be a lot of fun. My new pick for the killer is the ATF agent we see in the last scene because he's he's got the right kind of background and he kind of has the eyes too. But I, I mean, I have a hard time imagining them going with a non-recognizable actor for the killer, but you never know. The stuff with Gina was odd. I wasn't expecting that to happen <laughs> uh, because we I felt like we hadn't even really gotten a beat on her character yet. You know, why does she keep running away? Is she just young and obnoxious or is there something else going on? We don't know. We may never know. Uh, so that was an odd choice, but surprising and brutal. So I guess it worked in that sense. Uh, but I think my favorite scenes this week were all the uh, the Matthew Lillard, Emily Rio stuff. They weren't even there last week, but I, I liked him getting clean and just his general panic and self-flagellation over that was quite nicely played by Matthew Lillard. Well, and I just, I loved that montage of him, Dumb of the Pills and the Booze, uh, set to what, Brand New... Brand New Key. Brand New Key. That song is just, it's so delightful. I, it was just a wonderful, wonderful music choice. Yeah, I, I like this episode more than you did, it sounds. And I, the Gina stuff actually did really work for me. And a big part of that was because, exactly, because I did not see her death coming at all. I was like, oh, now we've introduced a little sister surrogate and we're going to humanize our lead character this way. And three episodes down the line, once we've wrung every storyline out of her, she will die tragically. Nope, nope. <laughs> 20 minutes after we've wrung a, one storyline out of her, dies tragically. Right, yeah. There's some contrivance there, but... Yeah, th- th- there definitely is. But that's one of the nice things about the bridge. It zigs when you think it will probably zag. Not all the time, but often enough to keep you on your toes. And that scene also gave us just one of the best scenes we've gotten for Diane Kruger. I thought she was fantastic there. And then that sort of sort of propelled her through the rest of the episode. And I thought the reveal at the very end with her sister's uh, attacker, rapist, killer, played by Brian William Henke, fantastic casting for such a potentially one scene part um i thought i thought it was incredibly powerful and just her desperation and her inability to understand i thought was beautifully portrayed and just the way that they handled all those yeah those reveals over the course of the episode first with ted levine and demian bashir um and then sort of extrapolating out through to the end the final moments i thought would mm-hmm. fantastic I found it interesting. We we kind of get hints as to how deep the connection is between the cartel and Demi and Bashir this week, which yep. I think that's going to pan out in a really interesting way, as I was hoping it would when the series first started. I agree with you about the final scene. I thought it was uh, quite powerful. Um, and yes, Brad William Heckey is always nice to see. The guest cast in general is just getting silly. 
uh, in a good way. I love that Don Swayze's in there, and apparently we'll be back. When he, whenever he pops up, I smile. I, you know, I've enjoyed his his like you know few episode stints on many of my favorite shows, and so I, I when he popped up, I was like, ah, awesome. Let's see, let's see what you know. I thought it was going to be like a one or two scene thing, but it looks like it's going to be much bigger. So that that should be a lot of fun. And Brian Van Holt, I, obviously we call him Bobby Cobb because he is so much fun on Cougar Town. But I do look forward to actually watching him get to play a bit more dramatic and uh, side of the the spectrum, and hopefully get a little more material. I, it was sort of hilarious to me the way that even the show seems to understand that we really don't care about Annabeth Gish. So. <laughs> instantly yeah. give us somebody else to to follow instead of her because that character is so uninteresting right now yeah i agree um and and we also pretty definitively figure out that it can't be ted levine this week which yes phew, thank goodness exactly yes i mean he could i'm not ruling out his, his involvement in some way maybe but he certainly isn't the one who stabbed Gina. It's physically impossible. Yeah. Well, Gina would say it was Ted Levine. It was him. It was, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His right. breath still smelled like chili dogs. Yeah, exactly. So that, that you're right. That, that's, you know, something I'm encouraged by. I just am struck by how much the show has improved since its earlier episodes. Not that it wasn't strong or promising, but I really think the introduction of Fausto and some of these other elements... Uh, on the other side of the border, the other side of the law have really been crucial to making this show come together. And we're now, what, like halfway through our season? I think so. So I'm actually, you know, starting to get more interested in, in how it's going to wind up. So well done. Yes. We also had Broadchurch this week, episode 1.2. And uh, by the end of this one, I was intrigued enough to tune in for the rest. I, they they got me by the I was I was sort of almost begrudging. I was like, ah, darn it! Now I'm gonna. <laughs> I care enough to watch the rest. Right. So without spoiling anything, what's your overall brief one line verdict of the of the show so far? I think because I have seen the entirety, and I will keep this 100 percent spoil free, spoiler free. And I imagine we will touch in on Broadchurch over the next several weeks. And I, I, I wrote down my thoughts after each episode, so we can like sort of follow along chronologically without spoilers. The early praise that I was hearing that said by the end it was fantastic, I think is a bit generous. But I'm glad I watched it. I, it was satisfying. It ended the the solution, the the answer, as it were, to the case, worked very well and felt legit. And um, so, so there's that's always something that is crucial in a in a show like this. And the 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 only issue I had with it, the performances, by the way, are fantastic. Tennant and Coleman's rapport by the end is really interesting and fun and. Uh, Watching their partnership, I guess, over the course of the the eight episodes is probably the highlight for me. David Bradley gets some really great stuff to play. Um, a few of the other actors get some really great stuff to play, and and it's appropriately murky while being interesting. And um, there's some contrivance in there or some convenience, but in general, the writing is good and the answer is satisfying, and the performances are very good. I just don't think they stick the landing because the, the, the just the the stylistics of it, you know, so it's a little too foreshadowed for me. And then after they foreshadowed it, so you're like, oh okay, 
I get it. Then then they go, oh, who could, who could it be, guys? So I didn't necessarily appreciate that. And um, <laughs> the, the the last shot was on the wrong people. That was kind of odd to me where they chose to end it. But apparently the in the UK it ended with Broadchurch will be back. So I look forward to finding out how they're going to do that. I also um, am somewhat surprised that it's been adapted it's being adapted for like Fox for next year. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. We don't have enough TV shows following a uh, a single crime, you know, some sort of violence perpetrated against a child. We need to have more of those. So, yeah. Can I, I mean, okay. Just to get this out of the way, I thought the episode was good. I didn't need the stuff with the psychic phone repair guy. I don't <laughs> see that going anywhere. Interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, the whole preponderance of death in a small town shows is just bizarre to me. There's another one coming up in a month or so called Southcliffe uh, directed by Sean Durkin, who did Martha Marcy May Marlene, although it's set in Britain. I wanted to just be a parody of Broadchurch just because like it's Broadchurch. It's Southcliffe. This could never happen in Broadchurch. This could never happen in Southcliffe. I mean, this could never happen in North Briar. This could never happen in Northumberland. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. Northumberlandshire, sir. Yeah. Northumberlandshire. Yeah. You, You want the one show where it's like, oh, yeah, this kind of thing happens all the time. <laughs> Dead kid in the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you going to tune in? I think I'll keep watching. Like you said, the acting is very good. Uh, it's got a good sense of mood that isn't too overbearing. And I'm <sighs> I am uh, eager to get answers because answers are fun. And if you tell me that the answers are credible, then that's good. It doesn't seem like it's going to bother me too much. Uh, but, yeah, certainly not on the level of, say, the fall. Yeah, certainly certainly not on the level of top of the lake but i don't think it's trying to be top of the lake either so you know for what it's worth yeah and if and by the way if they do a second season that's still set in broad church and someone else dies they can't keep saying this sort of thing doesn't happen here (laughs) yeah yeah we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to the end of the season but let's move on to the newsroom one step too many did they maintain their newfound excellence or slip back to old habits uh, it was somewhere in between. I didn't okay. think it was as good as last week, uh, but there wasn't anything as head-smackingly awful as is, as, let's be honest, exists in basically every episode that wasn't last week's episode. Everything with Maggie, ever? Yeah, I mean, the stuff with Maggie this week was not as horrible and cringeworthy and as stuff she's got in the past, if only because it seems like it has like an adult seriousness about it. Yeah, as long as it's not there to set up what Jim was saying to her. Like, so Jim says, make sure you don't get drunk and tell everyone about, you know, that you're, these random guys you're sleeping with about this thing. Cause you're, you know, not responsible cause you're you. As long as, as long as, you know, her going, come on, dude, is, is the final word on that. And we don't yeah. in two weeks have her, Oh my God, I can't believe I, and you know, some of the more, right. the, the, the misogyny problem that's really has seemed to turn into a Maggie problem in this season. Then, then I'll be fine with it. Right. Uh, I don't know. How did you feel? I mean, we got Stephen Root in a big part, which is always good. Always great. Good. I thought. Uh, did you think it was on par? It didn't have the personal punch of of last week's for Will, for Sloane, for each of these characters. It was a very personal episode last week, and this was not the that. I thought it worked well. I always am happy, like you said, to see Stephen Root. I'm still waiting for that Stephen Root, Romy Rosemont starring vehicle on FX. I mean, come on, let them get into shenanigans on a weekly basis. I want to see it. But where they're going with Jerry is a bit too tidy. 
for my taste. Well, it's interesting because I knew that was going to happen as I read up on the real case they're basing this screw up on. And that's precisely what happened. You know, a, a producer dicked around with it to get the desired result. And it was obviously Jerry's going to be that character because it's not going to be Jim. But I do think that the way Jerry ranted at them this week should have been a tip off to Giant everyone flag. in that room. Yes. Uh, so that I wasn't that could have been a tad subtler. I, I will say the one subplot that did nothing for me this week was the stuff with Will and Hope Davis. Mm -hmm. Did That didn't interest me at all. Yeah, and I don't like them sort of underwriting her character as not Mackenzie. And therefore she's... Because they've set up... And again, maybe this is just because we like Sloane so much. But they've set up Sloane to be right as far as I'm concerned. Most of the, like she's the, if she says it, then I think that it's right. Uh, that that's right. you know the truth on the show, and so when they have her Hope Davis's character, you know who should know a lot about this stuff, giving Will such bad advice and then sticking with it, and then seeing later Sloan saying it was a terrible idea, I don't understand why they are putting that character there. Write an interesting character. Don't just write not Mackenzie. Yeah, and, and there's nothing about the character we see this week that seems necessarily logically consistent with the character we saw in last season yes. or early this season. It just you're right; she's there to serve a plot function, which is annoying because Hope Davis is an amazing actress and let her do something. Yeah, yeah. As for everything else, you know, it it was nice to see that that little moment with Jim and the Romney press uh, person. I I couldn't decide at first if it if I thought it was too. Um, have your cake and eat it too but I, I decided you know it was nice to show that 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 other side of it was like really this really basic almost pedestrian level of of uh, analysis you're giving me jim maybe it's already occurred to me so maybe right, you should yeah. shut up you know I, I liked having that little bit of of depth to the character and i do enjoy that actress as well so they do continue to have people i very much like even though they mostly waste them yes uh, so do you have uh, hopes that for the rest of the season that they're not going to revert to old, terrible habits? No. No? <laughs> I do think it's gotten better. I think I think there's a better handle on the writing in general. I think it was a good idea to do this whole framing device or just to show them screwing up instead of constantly being the, oh, we just happened to get everything right because we're being written by a guy in the future. Uh, so that, that that's a nice touch. And if they can just get their head out of their butt about Maggie, then um, and sort of just I want them to just catch us up to, you know, I don't need to see more of the lead up to the fallout since we all know that that's what's going to happen and how, you know, it doesn't seem like that's very interesting. So, yeah. And hopefully they're not going to take the entire rest of the season to do that. Yeah, the, Kate just flashed a grin that says they're going to do that, you idiot. There's a red team and then there's election night one and two. So this isn't going anywhere right away. So, no, right. we'll see. I wonder how the election turns out. Yeah. But anyways, I, I do think it's improved, though. I think some of the things that were driving us nuts last year aren't driving us nuts this year. That's good. Well, not hold on. Not this year. Just these last two episodes. That's true. That's let's be honest. And I do think they they need to stop trying to turn Don into Josh with this whole like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to ask out Sloan. Sloan like threw herself at him and he said no. So I don't know why he thinks that, you know, now that they're friends 
that she's not going to want to go out with him, even though she said that she did want to go out with him not that long. You know, like, there's just some of that is a little annoying to me because it feels like they're rewriting the character to make him the sympathetic one because they realize that nobody likes Jim. Yeah, yeah nobody likes Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that, that's my thoughts. How about you? Uh, no, that, that all sounds right. Uh, it would be... I think the, the the nice thing about this episode and the last and last week's episode and hopefully the rest of the season is they are good at the in these high pressure specific situations that don't let them tie in too much soapy bullshit. Because as soon as he starts writing soapy bullshit at in this time in his life, for some reason, <laughs> Aaron Sorkin just turns into a massive prick. I don't know why. It just happens. Yep. And sometimes that's fun, but on the newsroom it hasn't really proven itself to be, so Nope. Let's move on to Breaking Bad Buried, and can, can we just can we just bask in the awesome of of Anna Gunn and Betsy Brandt this week? Because we can, we can, and, sorry, and, that, and Michelle McLaren, and Michelle McLaren, yes, uh, three awesome ladies helping to make this episode very good. I posited a theory in my review this week that uh, occurred to me in the wee hours of Saturday morning and struck me as brilliant and insightful. Uh, Mostly because I wrote it. <laughs> but I haven't seen it suggested anywhere else, so I'm going to copyright it. I am intrigued by the idea of Skylar White, who is easily, if not the most reviled character on television, certainly at least the most reviled character on Breaking Bad. No question. Period. Uh, I kind of think that she's the audience surrogate figure, or at least the most plausible one. I mean, in terms of the way that she how she reacts when she finds out about Walt and then, you know, is initially repulsed, but then eventually kind of maybe seduced is too strong a word, but if she's not seduced by Walt, she's at least very much seduced by the money. Mm. And I feel like, you know, hearing Vince Gilligan talk about how he's horrified that people idolize Walt, uh, which he should have known frankly was going to happen because he, he called the journey, Mr. Chips to Scarface and, and, you know, Every asshole from here to Timbuktu has a goddamn Scarface poster. Clearly haven't seen the freaking movie, but whatever. Um, so, you know, it was bound to happen. And I feel like Skylar's character acts as the sort of inadvertent meta-commentary on how we perceive Walt. So, yeah, take that, Skylar haters. Yeah, I think that was actually really interesting. I liked your review is uh, fabulous this week, as as it always is. And, of course, you guys can read that at Sound on Sight TV. But yeah, I think that's an excellent point, and I, I I think we need to discuss your last line though, saying that she's the that that it was one of the big successes of the show is is making her so hateable, and I would say until really this episode, and really until she so easily last week, but then then especially this week, doesn't take the out and doubles down on supporting all of this violence and destruction. I don't think she's hateable. I don't think she's, you know, a terrible despite, I mean, terrible mother. I complained about that plenty last year, but. Okay. So she's a terrible mother, but not terrible a terrible mother. Person. Well, okay, I just think she's more relatable as opposed to like this. I really don't oh, understand this notion that, that she's, that she's a she's just the worst, and she is just you know the the way that people think she's like destroying the show, and she's just a bitch and all of that. I think she's always been such a f interesting, fully rounded character, and I think Walt is just a terrible person. I think Skyler's way more interesting than that. 
I think Skylar is a terrible person, but I, I mean, I, I don't think that I never said she wasn't relatable, but I do <laughs> think she's horrible. Like, I think we can all relate to horrible people from time and time again. Uh, I mean, anyone who didn't find out what was going on and immediately go to the cops mm-hmm. or take the kids out or there were a million things she could have done and she did none of them. That's true. And I'm not well, complaining. I think she's a great character, but let's not gloss over what she has and hasn't done. Well, and we spent a year, at least a, at least a season, with her kind of slowly going mad, trying to deal with all of this. And I think that was an important step we saw with her that we didn't see with Walt in his journey. And I thought that was an, an important distinction between the two of them. Walt just f- was presented with more and more opportunities to to be this ever selfish, ever petty person and pursued it with glee. Whereas with Skylar, by the time she's trying to drown herself in the pool enough, you know, to, to create, you know, to, with the scheme that she has, like, I think she's for a while there, I do think she is trying to find a way out, even if she's not doing what she needs to do, which is just go to the cops. Yeah, I know. I, I agree that I, is she as bad a person as Walt? Well, no one's as bad a person as Walt. She didn't start a meth empire and kill a bunch of dudes, so I'm going to say no. But let's. she's not a good person. You know who is a good person, though? Marie. Is Marie? Yeah, Marie's Love a good her. person. And uh, her slapping Skylar this week was freaking righteous. That was so good. Uh, Betsy Brandt doesn't get enough to do on the show in general, and uh, it was great to see her get to play these <laughs> really big notes this week um, and prove she can because usually she's almost comic relief. Um, I mean, think about one of the most memorable, hilarious scenes I think in the whole show is the hospital hand job. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, to, it's nice just to get some uh, more versatile stuff out of her. There wasn't really anything I disliked this week. I could have stood for Hank being a little bit more tentative with Skylar and not just and, you know, being more of an investigator rather than a friend. But I, I realize it is happening in the heat of the moment. So it's understandable. Well, but also he was too much of an investigator in that scene. And he pushed her. I mean, obviously, people may have different readings of that diner scene. But I maybe maybe we're supposed to think that she never intended to talk to him in any way. And she was just scoping him out for information. But I was reading it more as... She wasn't sure. And then when he started, when he threw out the tape recorder and started pushing her on that more, that's when she reacted, pulled back and decided to double down with Walt. Um, So so I think if anything, he, he was not, he, he messed up because he was too, um, too much of an interrogator. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of how, Hank could or should have handled that differently and I I guess it's it's a difficult thing especially to you know just the sheer intensity of that moment I mean I love that the first of all the decision to have that outside perspective where we see who's driving the little car outside I thought was <laughs> a, a brilliant little visual device uh, I love that the whole standoff at the beginning is just based on who can just call Skylar faster oh my god I love how quickly Walt turns right back into the weasel that he is. Absolutely. By the way, where is Walt Jr.? Sleepover? It's only been a couple days. 
Yeah, fair enough. I'm just curious. He's he's off somewhere eating breakfast. Off screen. He's definitely. He's yeah. Maybe he's in New Hampshire. <laughs> the um I'm trying to think what else to mention in this episode. The I mean basically every major scene kind of worked, which I think is all you can really demand of uh, sort of an aftermath episode like this. Uh, mostly, I just it's the sort of episode where I'm like, can I watch next week now? Because I need to see how that Jesse Hank scene yeah, plays out. Definitely like, immediately. The two things I, I do want to talk about a little bit more, besides just that the cold open was fun, and I 100% agree, I can't wait to see what goes down with Jesse and uh, and Hank. The two things that I want to mention is I love seeing Marie be such a perfect partner for Hank. I feel like I get them now in a way that... I that maybe we haven't had the opportunity to because they haven't shown that kind of a light on Marie. They haven't put Marie into that situation. They did a little bit when when Hank was injured and we saw how how hard that was on on both of them and on them as a couple and we saw her weathering that. But the two of them are just so in this episode so perfectly matched and so a hundred percent on the same page and it's it's a beautiful thing to see and the other thing i want to mention is that every single scene was shot beautifully was was mm. looked fantastic i mean the just the last week and this week both i've just been staring at dean norris's eyes because they keep lighting them so that the, that blue is piercing and it was walt same thing last week and skylar at the diner also it's just like they're finding a way to make their eyes like glow blue it's it's a fantastic yeah and i lots of little images stick out i mean they love their fixed camera shots which i don't know how they do some of these but for instance uh the barrels of money that walt's mm-hmm. throwing into the ground um i also of course loved that near opening shot of uh jesse on the merry-go-round yeah sort of uh i use the word clockworking the frame uh it's not a real word but i'm gonna go with it uh that was a very ma- I mean, a very memorable image in what was a pretty, like, one of the most uneventful cold opens they've ever done. Yeah. So they they had to find a way to spice that up. And I think Michelle McLaren did a fantastic job, as per usual. <laughs> well, for our quarterbacks watch, one montage, no breakfast. did get one montage. No breakfast. No explosions. Unless you can't Marie oh, slapping. Skyler. Which was fantastic. Love that. Um, the shootout was off screen. Does that count? Uh, I think that counts. Uh, that, that by the way, um, I thought that sequence was interesting. I liked the the detail of Lydia's shoes. I'm sure they spent mm-hmm. hours looking for the right pair of shoes, yeah. if not days. And I spotted Kevin Rankin in there as um, as Todd's uncle, which is, hey, I'm always happy for more justified people showed up. I mean, how do we feel about Lydia and the fact that she's going to be around more? Well, we'll see how long she lasts. I mean, Todd, we we were basically promised an explosion this week by finding out that Todd did two batches okay and then made a fire with the third batch. So we're right. just kind of uh, waiting for that. Yes, that then that'll count as an explosion. Yeah, there you go. Um, any other final thoughts this week? Bring on next week, man. Absolutely. I'm hooked again. Well, let's ask the question so we can laugh and answer it together. What wins your week in drama? <laughs> Breaking <laughs> uh, Bad. Breaking Bad.
Definitely Breaking Bad. Let's run through a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf with Josh Long of More Than One Lesson to talk about Get Smart. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org. For this episode, you can leave us comments there. Let us know what you thought of the week's television and any suggestions you have for, for next week for the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll, for any of the various things we discussed this week. Of course, you can find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we're also up in Facebook. You can like us to follow all the various reviews and posts that are going up um, at Sound Insight TV. You can also email us, thetelevis.gmail.com, and we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televis. You are. At Sucker Howl. And what should our question of the week be? Uh, well, Kate, you put up your uh, elementary article this week. I'm curious what else you think we're wrong about. Okay. Or specific. I sorry. Let me rephrase that. What else do you think Kate is wrong about? <laughs> what other shows have I gotten wrong in the past year? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Let me know what I'm missing out on. Totally. So now we'll take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Josh Long to talk about Get Smart. Smart. Secrets are great. I will return your chief, but there's something I want in exchange. I would like to meet with you. I'm not meeting with you, Siegfried, until I know the chief is all right. How do I know he's still alive? I will let you talk to him. Oh, Max, this is the chief. Are you all right, chief? No, I'm all right. Wait a minute. How do I know you're really the chief? You could be someone impersonating him. Max! <laughs> the chief, all right. Max, don't bargain with chaos. I'm expendable. My life... Schmalt? What happened? Your chief was just silenced by a pistol butt. Well, that's a little drastic, isn't it, Siegfried? Couldn't you have just shushed them? They don't shush here! with the televerse this is kate kalzik joined as ever by simon howell and this week at the dvd shelf we are going old school and we're talking get smart with josh long from more than one lesson josh welcome to the show thanks glad to be here so what made you want to talk about get smart uh well this is it's actually one of my favorite tv shows of all time uh i i grew up a lot on kind of tv land and nick at night stuff uh, that was a lot of what i watched as a kid and so even though i'm just 30 now uh, I, some of my, the, the shows that are like in my, in my memory that I have fond childhood memories of are, are these kind of shows, uh, old, old sixties and seventies comedies. Well, I, you know, what I find it so interesting for my personal experience with the show is that we didn't have cable when I was growing up, so I couldn't watch on TV land. And yet so much of you know, these elements of, of a show like Get Smart somehow seeped into the, my consciousness. Like I've known about the shoe phone and the, Cone has mm -hmm. silenced all this stuff for my entire <laughs> life, and you know, I love this stuff. So it was really fun to have the opportunity to go back and watch some of the show that I I don't know how I saw it, but I I did. <laughs> maybe we had taped something like my maybe my 
my dad had taped some off of TV when he was younger or something, but uh, I think it's just cultural osmosis. Well, there's that. It's it's a very long living show. It's had its effect, I think, through generations of of TV fans because it is so so infectiously fun. Yeah, it's definitely one of those shows that uh, the there were elements of it that were so memorable and so funny that they became part of the cultural lexicon. You know, everybody. Everybody knows a lot of Maxwell Smart jokes, even if they don't know that they came from him. Mm-hmm. Simon, what was your relationship with Get Smart? Uh, like you, I'm sure I saw some Get Smart growing up. Like I, I until I sat down to watch some episodes. Like I, I definitely already remember the intro, uh, which is iconic, I think. And I, again, was familiar with some of the gags. And I, I, but other than that, like I'd never actually sat down to watch it consciously, at least in the last twenty years. Uh, so this was more or less new to me. I, I think when you talk about the effect of the show, and maybe I miss uh, misidentifying the influence, but I, I feel like thanks to Get Smart and its many, many, many disciples, I think that sp- spies are. I, I think there's a, there's an equal amount of comedic representation of spies as there is dramatic, and I, I, I think without Get Smart, you you that that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. That sort of the, that comedic representation of spies became something that was a was a, a a big deal and very familiar, and I think we're still seeing it even today with like Archer, for instance. I think goes a whole lot to Get Smart. Certainly, and I think you know those Bond movies were just so ripe for parody that. It had it kind of had to happen, but it didn't necessarily have to happen in this way and to be so successful. And I think when we're talking about Get Smart, obviously there you, you got to talk about Don Adams. There there are a few people that need to be mentioned, but the one for me is always going to be Mel Brooks. Yeah, yeah, he's he's uh, a lot of people forget that. Like I, I was going back and watching some of the old episodes with my wife, and she hadn't seen much of it, but she was like, I had no idea this was a Mel Brooks show, and I was like, Yeah, that's one of the reasons it's so funny. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that comedy, you know, you can see it's. It's it's an earlier uh, work from him because of course I'm more used to his film film work and uh, and sort of seeing that it's it's so Mel Brooks and some of this humor but because at least for me I always so associate the show with with that central Maxwell Smart Don Adams character I wasn't necessarily seeing that when I was a kid I wasn't connecting it to uh, I don't know the producers or or any of the other you know great Mel Brooks comedies I was always just thought of it as as its own entity and now watching it with more cultural references to draw from and more having seen more of Brooks work, it just seems like it's so obvious. Of course, how could you not, you know, feel like this is another of his great accomplishments and credits also due to, to Buck Henry, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. yeah. And I, I love that both of these guys are still around mm-hmm. and, and occasionally pop up in things. <laughs> Out of curiosity, have either of you seen either the, the sequel or the reboot, or the film? Because I, I haven't seen any of them. Nope. I saw the film from the 80s that I think is called, like, Get Smart Again, or mm-hmm. something like that. And then I did see the, I think it's a 2008 uh, Steve Carell vehicle remake. And how did that live up uh, to to the, the show for you? Um, there are some funny moments on it, but again, it's, like, the reason that we like the old Get Smart is is because of that uh, that's sort of the Mel Brooks Buck Henry factor. Like those type of jokes are why it was popular. Um, I, I guess that's not the only thing. Obviously, there's a lot to be said for the for the um, for the actors, definitely. Um, but I think it's those actors taking that kind of uh, dialogue and those kind of setups 
and that that kind of package works. And the the new movie isn't it doesn't have that at all. It's a it's a it's a different style of comedy. It's being marketed to a different audience. To me, it had that feel where they're just trying to appeal to the sort of vague general general populace as much as possible. And so while there are some good good funny jokes, it doesn't it doesn't really stand on its own very well. Interesting. One of the things that I, I really enjoyed uh, to get back to the series was discovering that at least the episodes that I saw, maybe I just happened to see specific episodes, specific subset, because there are 138 episodes of the series. <laughs> yeah. But it seemed like all the episodes I watched were actually parodies of other things. So I watched a Rear Window episode. I watched the Great Escape episode, which is also like Hogan's Heroes. Mm -hmm, yeah. I didn't realize that the, each, you know, there, there were so specifically uh, a parody of other things aside from, of course, the whole secret agent and James Bond side of things. So that was a lot of fun for me. Well, I, I think that became uh, an influential thing as well. I mean, uh, you can d also tie that directly to Archer. There's also an Orient Express mm -hmm. episode. Um, but this idea that you use one form of parody as a launch pad to really do whatever you like, uh, I imagine that had to be an invention of Get Smart just based on timing. Well, and it's even something that, you know, would remind me of, say, space or community and the way that they'll do their or, or, or psych or something that will do. This is their Chinatown episode. This is their uh, exorcist episode. It's a similar kind of idea. And it's nice to see that, of course, you know, it should go without saying, but the same ideas, you know, if it's a good idea now, probably somebody thought of it a while back and took their own twist on it. Yeah. And that's another thing where you see that becomes a clearer Mel Brooks thing, too, when, you know, we've got Spaceballs and we've got uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights and, of course, mm -hmm. Blazing Saddles and any number of parodies. Like, that was definitely something that he did really well. Certainly. Um, are there any particular, speaking of these episodes, are there any particular episodes or, uh, I, I would have to say, gadgets that we want to discuss? <laughs> is that a is that a pun? An, an inspector gadget pond? Oh, I did not even <laughs> see. There we go. I, I unintentional. No, I, for me, I know I should care more about the various levels of parody that are going on and the humor. But maybe it's because of you know growing up with things like the shoe phone and always enjoying the gadget cue side of Bond movies. That I always think of the gadgets when I think of Get Smart. So the, the briefcase that you that shoots gun shoots bullets and is just like the most ridiculously awkward gun inside a briefcase ever or of course the shoe phone of course the cone of silence like that's what i think of when i think of get smart i'm fond of the flavored suicide pills <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good one and then uh one of my favorite things about it i guess the the, the flavored suicide pills falls under that category is they just took they took that idea of the Bond type gadgets and then they were like, what's the most ridiculous way that we can come up with this? So I just watched one not too long ago where there's a balloon phone. Like they take a balloon and they blow it up and then, and then it's used as a phone, <laughs> um, which is completely absurd. But there are lots, uh, a lot of little things like that. Well, and they just all play it so deadly straight, you know, it's wonderful yeah. to see such a silly premise, but it is the fact that they're taking it so seriously, especially the chief who is the straight man all the way across the line. He's very serious about all these things like a balloon phone or like uh, the ridiculous number of uh, mistaken or uh, doppelganger episodes. There's mm -hmm. a ton of those in this show. To, to branch off from the gadgets, just the performances from all of the chaos agents are so ridiculous and so extreme. And yet, again, they're playing it so 
so straight. I, I mean, it's just mm -hmm. it, that that blend. Like, I was surprised to discover that this was a half hour show. I don't know why I thought it was an hour long show my entire life, but I just kind of assumed it was because it's a, it's a spy show, and you know you have. Uh, these other shows that I think of from the era that were, you know, Man from Uncle, these sorts of things that I think of as being hour long. So this one must. Um, but then, you know, it sustains itself so much better because it can just kind of blaze through these different storylines. And and therefore, you can get all the humor from these characters, from the ridiculous situations without having to really have them go to the jokey place. The things they're saying are funny, but they don't have to. You know, it doesn't turn into a situation where the characters are laughing at the jokes on screen. It can go by fast enough that, you know, because it's only trying to fill a half hour, that that you can just really let everybody play it totally straight. Well, speaking of jokiness, something I really appreciate, and I think this is one thing that a lot of other spy parodies didn't pick up the ball on, is the fact that the villains are just as... They have the, pretty much the same dynamic. I mean, Chaos has the same dynamic as Control, where... Everyone's pretty bumbling, but also very, very straight. And uh, I think that that's that's clearest in um, one episode I watched, uh, 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 um, A Spy for a Spy, and uh, wherein they have to keep, tr you know, kidnapping each other's agents until every single agent is kidnapped. Um, <laughs> and um, and I, I feel like in other spy parodies, they try to go for the, the bumbling hero spy who has to go up against uh, an, an actual enemy who is, you know, ge genuinely threatening or serious and, you know, just sort of win via just sort of dumb luck or, you know, or, or, you know, some, some, you know, comedic effect. Whereas he, I, I like that both organizations operate in pretty much exactly the same way. Yeah. And then it becomes funny too, that they are both taking it so seriously, but neither one of them is really that much of a threat to the other one because they are so inept. Yeah. Well, and I, I, of course, I, we all know I enjoy the over-analysis, right? So when I look at this, I'm also seeing it as a maybe a kind of commentary on the Cold War. And look how useless we're being. Why don't we you know, stop all of this back and forth and the, the ridiculous spying and just move forward? And instead, we're just caught up in this ridiculous power struggle between these two sides that really aren't that different. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> Shall we talk about some of this cast? Because this was on for five seasons. It has like 30 episodes a season, which, you know, thinking of now when it's the, the year of the 13 episode season or the 10 episode season, it's kind of ridiculous to think of having 30 episodes in a season. But that really let them churn through the guest stars. And it's just it's an impressive list. I mean, you have people playing, uh, certain people playing uh, chaos agents. I really wish I had found the, the Leonard Nimoy, uh, as a chaos agent episode, which I didn't, I wasn't able to, to, to get to that one, unfortunately, but Julie Newmar and, uh, Steve Allen and Milton Burrell and Ernest Borgen. I mean, the, the, the cast of guest guests that they're able to bring in is ridiculous. Yeah, there's a great uh, Don Rickles one too, which I think I think the episode's called Little Black Book, mm -hmm. and uh, apparently the story goes that they were ad-libbing so much on set that they actually they came up with enough content to separate it into two episodes, <laughs> and they <laughs> ended up with two-parter because they just had so much to go with. Well, yeah, I was you know one of those things where I'm watching it, imagining the the script and so many of the different places. I'm imagining insert reaction line and they just have like a list of 20 of them or 30 of them and they just keep you know keep throwing out new ones because it is very very punchline oriented with some of these uh 
some of the deliveries and, and just the reactions back and forth. I, I was surprised looking at the episode list how many two-parters there are, and there's even at least one three-parter. Yeah, that I, I'm not super familiar. Like I say, I watched a lot of uh, 60s and 70s TV, but I'm not super familiar with it, so I don't know how common a practice that was. I imagine it wasn't too common, but I could be wrong on that. Well, but it's a very breezy show. It you know, it's not hard to to imagine people kind of tuning in and out. But it also it lends itself to larger stories because if you want to, you're dealing with the fate of the world. So <laughs> you know, it's not hard to to go to forty minute, forty or fifty minutes with a, a two parter. You know, especially when you're leaving all these times for pratfalls and jokes and all sorts of silliness. It's you know, it, 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 they can fill a two-parter without it feeling like I know Simon and I always talk about uh, we almost never want to see a two-part premiere to our premiere. It's <laughs> always, it's always a bad decision for, from, uh, from most shows, but a show, you know, something like get smart where it's a, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes worth of content. I can watch these guys be silly for that long and, and just enjoy it and not, you know, I, if I was watching at the time period, making sure I tuned in next week to see the ridiculous conclusion would be something I would do. Yeah, it, it feels more like something out of uh, like a 1930s serial in terms of the way it handles. At least the the two parter I watched was it was fairly arbitrary that it was a two parter. It, it just happened to take their usual structure and you know drag it out a little bit longer so that they could make some of the gags longer. It wasn't like it, it wasn't like they were tackling deeper thematic concerns <laughs> or taking on a labyrinthine structure. You know, it, it's it, you know this isn't Louis. Yeah, uh, they're they're just you know they're just they're they're just having some fun with it, and I, I didn't get to the three parter, but I'm sure that was more of the same. And I I do like that they still like even though there is the silliness to it, even though everyone's kind of inept, they do still take the uh, like the writers of the show do, do still take the spy part of it seriously. Like they really try and make that a part of it rather than just a flimsy pretext for a lot of jokes. Because mm-hmm. um, I those are the back to going back to Archer, which is a show that I like a lot. But uh, this shows that the episodes that I don't like as much are the ones where, yes, we're within the spy thing, but we don't really deal with that much spy stuff. Um, whereas I, I love how most of Get Smart, at least, again, I haven't seen every episode, but most of it is uh, they come up with a legit spy situation. You probably could see that same kind of plot happen in a Mission Impossible or a Man from Uncle. Yeah, they, they they spend the time figuring out something that at least feels plausible enough for Get Smart, you know, for a comedy or a parody. You know, and especially because, like we were saying earlier, when you have everybody playing it straight, and I feel like the the character who gets most of the lines like this is, is 99, you know, mm-hmm. there's always somebody to bring it back to, no, Max, don't forget, we have to blah, 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 <laughs> you know? And, it's, and so because they do keep going back to that, it, it adds a little bit of credence to, to what's going on. It keeps you invested. You know, it keeps you from just kind of checking out the way that with, with certain parodies, you know, it can feel, and this is the, the weaker parodies. If you don't, if you lose track of your central storyline, it, and it just, the, the the parody starts to kind of eat its own tail and become less interesting. So I do, yeah. I would agree that's an important element to the show. Well, and speaking of 99, I think another thing that really helped my viewing is I wasn't sure how they were going to handle that character uh, because it's the 60s. Yeah. And we all know how older series and sexism and things like that can go. But I, I and obviously there's some issues with that here and there, but not really serious ones that I saw because I, I like that she's just as bumbling as Maxwell, and she, you know they don't just make her this you know like you know she she's she does not the say nagging wife 
Yeah, exactly. Essentially, yeah. Like she, she's she does say, "Max, we have to do this sometimes." But if, for instance, in the uh, in the two part ship of spies, like her attempts to rescue Max from the water are just awful, <laughs> and it it takes up like a solid four minutes of the episode or something like that. Like she's no better, and I think that's really important in making that dynamic work. Yeah, and she believes in him one hundred percent of the time. Like I, I, I get, maybe that's not exactly true. Like there are moments when she can see his bumblingness, but. It's not that character who just sits around and says, why did you do that? I can't believe you did that. Like, it could be that. And it's, and it's not really. She's kind of, she's very supportive of him, even when he's silly. Yeah, there there is a sense of, because I happened to watch several episodes where the chief gets kidnapped. I feel like, I feel like that's a recurring <laughs> theme on the show. And there's never any idea that maybe she would be a better interim chief. It's always, you know, well, of course, oh, yeah. honey, there's, you know, it, it's always a group of men and her in the room deciding who's going to be in charge now. And it's never occurred to any of them, including her, that maybe she would actually be good in, in command because that would just be ridiculous, of course. But uh, so there, there's some of that, but it's, it's definitely not uh, as troublesome as many other shows of the time period. Uh, could be and are and uh, and that was something I was kind of you know it's not as as maybe progressive as I would have hoped it's certainly nothing like Emma Peel Emma Peel is a badass who would just you know take out 99 with a glance but <laughs> but it, it really could have been a lot worse and so that was sort of a sigh of relief when I noticed that in this in the show do we have any particular episodes that we haven't mentioned yet that we want to get to I have trouble figuring out exactly which is the first episode with this character, but uh, there's several Jaime episodes. Jaime's the uh, the robot who is just a guy playing a robot. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know if either of you were able to find or see any of those. But No. Okay. He ends up being uh, kind of a fan favorite, I guess, because the... I guess the idea behind his jokes was that because he's a robot, he takes everything literally. So that gives them lots of opportunities for Maxwell Smart to give him a, uh, uh, some kind of euphemism or, or idiom and Jaime to take it seriously. Like, for instance, Jaime, why don't you kill the light? And he pulls up the gun and shoots it. <laughs> um, so, uh, those, those are some enjoyable episodes because the, the actor also who plays Jaime, he, he has no expressions on his face ever. So he's extremely deadpan, which, which kind of makes, I think makes those type of jokes funnier. Nice. One of the characters I really enjoyed, it, we did such a, a 211 performance for both of them, but I, I love the recurring villain of Siegfried and Stalker. And yeah. just like, just hearing Siegfried say Maxwell Schmatz, <laughs> I don't, it's just a silly, such a big thing, but I still laughed like every single time. I think that's really like to to wrap up what I have to say about the show. I mean, whenever I engage with old comedies and this is TV or film, like it's so hit and miss for me, what's going to work and, and going broad isn't always the, the solution, but I have to say, I, I, I did actually chuckle quite a bit watching these episodes, which was a huge relief to me. Cause I didn't want to be the guy saying, well, it's a classic, but I didn't think it was funny. So <laughs> uh, that was nice. Yeah. Well, and you know, I like that there are different characters that kind of, there are different characters that might do have different types, like different approaches to the comedy. Um, like Starker, for instance, is he's always over the top, but the way he plays that broad over the top is uh, it's, it's not typical. You know, it's a little he, he puts his own kind of spin on it that it stands out enough 
the silliness of it. And I love that he's somebody who's trying to, he's kind of trying to hold this spy organization together. Every time he has, you know, stoolies around him, they're, they're always these bumbling idiots and he's getting so frustrated all the time. But then at, on the other hand, there's a, there's a character that I, I really like that people don't talk about too much called Larrabee. He's not in that many episodes. He's a smaller character, but he, he is a very, uh, like a deadpan comedy type of thing, which I think, it's like there's a deadpan sarcasm to him that I think might appeal to viewers more nowadays, even more than it did then. Um, but I like that those two characters can with can exist within the same universe of that show and both be really fun. Well, and just, you know, it's nice every now and again to get somebody other than our central, you know, trio of of uh, smart and and 99. I, I just side note, I kind of wish I don't know. Do I wish we had actually gotten a name for her? I, I was watching this going, I know I shouldn't be caring about this because it's so heightened and everything, but she calls him by his name and he calls her his wife by a number. Uh, that's maybe not the most enlightened thing ever. Uh, but anyways, uh, it is good to get outside of that dynamic and shake it up a little bit every now and again. So I would certainly agree with that. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned um, a couple more things. I, I can't believe I mentioned Siegfried and didn't mention, I mean, it's, I normally am not a big fan of catchphrases, but this is chaos. We don't oh, yeah. <laughs> every time again, every time it gets me. Uh, and then the other thing I want to make sure we talk about at least briefly is that introduction. Like you said, Simon, I love the, it's just a guy walking and yet the combination of the music and just the physicality of Don Adams. I love that intro. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's one of the best ever. And it's not, it, it it's the gag is, if you want to call it a gag, is just the right length. And uh, I feel like I have a thing about intros. Um, it's rare to find a good one. Uh, the, I think the last new show that I noticed having a good one or new, new to me was actually Strike Back, which we talked about for the first time last week. And uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good intro. And this one is, like I said, totally iconic. Do you have any other uh, elements or characters or episodes that you would like to discuss, Josh? I don't know. I think we've we've covered a lot of the stuff that I like. I will say, um, I was actually thinking about the the ninety nine thing, the name thing, and I I think I remembered there being, uh, I think I remembered it that he doesn't actually know her name. So I looked into that to make sure, and sure enough, there's an episode where somebody asks her. This is in season five, so it's near the end. Somebody asks him, "Did you just call her ninety nine? And he says, "Yeah." And that guy says, "Can I ask why?" And he says, "I don't know her name." <laughs> and uh... I, I like that the the show realized that everybody wanted to know that, and then they they played into that by saying, "No, yeah, he he just doesn't know. That's it." <laughs> and you know they, they they're making it work no matter what. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 nice to see that kind of self awareness, and I'm sure by the end, because I saw mostly earlier episodes, and I'm sure by the end they were you know having their own jokes upon jokes. Uh, it, it, with their own, playing with their own history, because that's the kind of show this is. So yeah. I, I would think we, it sounds like we all would agree it's a fun show. Check it out on uh, Netflix or something like that. You know, kill some time, maybe uh, see where some of the uh, the comedic. Uh, you, it, it, this is a show that was that does seem like it was an inspiration to a lot of people and really de- helped develop uh, certain types of parody comedy, especially on television. So. I recommend checking it out if if you feel like, you know, we want to check up with an older show. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? 
Uh, well, they can find uh, More Than One Lesson at morethanonelesson.com. Uh, the episodes are, regular episodes are up every two weeks, and we're on a series right now where we're doing mini-sodes every other week that uh, we're going through our personal top tens, mine and uh, Tyler Schmidt. Cool. So you can find us there. Then I am also on Twitter at the Josh Long. Cool. Thank you so much again for coming on, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.